Parents, thanks for letting us have the opportunity to do that in the service. Just a little connection point for us that we wanted. Uh, actually helps, helps us think through some of, some of what we're trying to do with us. Each of us don't need complicated information, right? We are given instructions in this book, a guide. We've, we've mentioned throughout our time in this book uh, from the time when Joy and I were still overseas to this very day that this book, this letter of the Philippians, um, the letter to the Philippians, holds out the promise of indestructible joy for us. And so, like, I know, if you're like me, you, could, like, you say, okay, yeah, that's great, but I don't feel it. I don't know, I'm not sure I really believe it. Like, I'm sure it says stuff in there. And so I've heard, I think this is 19 sermons, maybe, something like that. And so it's like I've heard it week after week after week. It, this, this letter is not simply some good words to consider and possibly add into our already busy life. To consider you know, what we hear Sunday mornings, and you know, I might, might remember it, might not remember it. But it's the Word of God that must not simply be listened to, but believed and followed in dependence on the Holy Spirit. So James, right, James 1.22 says, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, because you can straight up deceive yourself by coming here on Sunday mornings and just hearing stuff, or spending time in the Word during the week and reading and being involved in things and yet never putting it into practice and thinking that all is well and in the end, not all is well. We need to follow the instruction manual. I, I mentioned to the kids that much more importantly, one must look at this instruction manual, uh, listen to it, see it, take heed of it, follow it, for it to be useful for the intent it was written for. To, to again, to not simply hear it, but to daily live in the good and the joy of the promise that God will complete the work that he began. So not just in one ear and out the other, not just thinking, yeah, okay, I remembered that from like, I don't know, how many year, weeks ago was that? Um, living in the good of this promise to have our love abound more and more and to let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, to be of the same mind, to, to, to have the same love, in humility counting others as more important than ourselves, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing, believing in our hearts deep that it is God who works in us to will and to do his good pleasure to rejoice in the Lord, to look out for those who steer you away from the good news of Jesus, to find Jesus to be your surpassing worth in every way, knowing and experiencing the wonderful joy of having received his perfect record of righteousness in your place, so pressing on, living for, dying for the gospel, dying for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus holding true to the gospel, knowing our citizenship is in heaven, and having the promise of seeing Christ, having our bodies transformed in a resurrection to come, to live with him forever, to know the spatial nearness of God and the power of the gospel so we grow in unity, we grow in gentleness, we grow in freedom from anxiety, independent prayer and thanksgiving so that we would know that there is indestructible joy in our hearts and minds being guarded and raised and ra guarded by the one who has uh, been risen again and rules and reigns today, King Jesus, to, to think about these things, to dwell on these things, 
that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent. And to be learning that our good, sufficient Savior who is sovereign is worth trusting in literally in every situation, no matter how dire the situation and no matter how wonderful. Friends, this is, this is just a quick one-paragraph swath through where we've been. This is our guide to indestructible joy. A, a lot of information. I think, I think of the, the hours that, that, that Dan, Cale, and I you know, sit in this and think about this, and, and, and we struggle to put this into practice ourselves, and we're hours and hours into it, being affected by it very much, and so I know that it is that much more potentially complicated for you who have to sit and listen for 45 minutes and Try to stay focused and then remember it on Monday and live in the good of it. This is our fight. This is the fight for not just, not just following some guidelines, but, but, but experiencing indestructible joy that we all long for. Paul has one more thing to share in this guide, at least one more thing. We're just going to take one more thing regarding the promise of indestructible joy and is found in this passage that Katie just read. It's primarily this, the direction that I'm going, is the reality of our trust in God will be revealed in the joyful, sacrificial generosity of our partnership locally and globally. What you and I are reading in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, and if you could just leave that up for a little bit. What we've come to is really Paul's thank you portion of the letter. He's from verse 10 through 20. It's just his thank you note. And you might recall back in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul refer referred to the partnership uh, in the gospel that the Philippian church had entered into with him. And from the beginning of the ministry of Paul in Macedonia, um, they had joined him, not merely by praying for him uh, or agreeing with his theology, but also by supplying needs for him as financial resources via the hand of this man named Epaphroditus, particularly, who had come from them to Paul so he could do the work God had called him to do, even if it was in prison. That This was a uniquely Christian generosity that's taking place here, generosity that comes from these people having been forgiven, generosity that comes from wanting to see others freed and forgiven, generosity that comes from wanting to see the kingdom of God spread in their own town, in their nation, in the world, generosity that comes from really trusting in the God who made them and loves them and saved them and keeps them. It's promised all to them. Paul, Paul has just spoken about the fact that he had learned to entrust everything. We, we had somebody come in last week and speak, but the week before I spoke about the fact that Paul found himself to be, he learned to be content in all circumstances, whether with plenty or with nothing, in impoverishment, being able to live in any kind of situation because his strength and his consolation was in something that was immovable. It was someone who was immovable, unshakable, unassailable, powerful, his ever-present God, the one he loved. And I think Dan's first message was, was, uh, was called Captivated by Jesus. And two weeks ago when I preached I think I used that word captivated a number of times through there, not knowing that he called it captivated by Jesus. It's just, it is the reality. When one is captivated by Jesus, enthralled by Jesus, this is the kind of thing that happens in someone's life. What we see here today, 
particularly. I want to consider three primary points that we learned from this thank you note this morning. First, this, the Christian generosity flows from the heart. Second, it'll be generous, Christian generosity results in exceptional fruit. And then third, Christian generosity stems from a glorious promise. So first, Christian generosity flows from the heart, verses 14, 15, and 16. Paul says, yet it was kind of you. Again, remember he, just, he had just said, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not like I can jump over a, a high bar of seven feet or something. It is that I have learned to be content in all circumstances. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me, live in plenty, live in nothing. Either way, whatever, it's all good. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. There's something unique about this little Philippian church that's filled with those who've been born again and, and freed and forgiven. We, we've, we've seen this kind of care Paul has for the church throughout the letter. But listen to the way he closes the letter in verses 21 and 22 and 23. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Very similar to the way the whole letter starts, and we see it all the way through the letter, this camaraderie, this, this friendship, this love, this, this partnership, a family, co-heirs of the kingdom. This, this wasn't just simply a transactional kind of relationship, a transaction-based relationship. We've heard this deep love between Paul and the Philippians throughout this letter, especially in chapter 1. Uh, uh, verses 5 and following, and, and, and then chapter 4, verse 1, where he talks about brothers dearly loved. They're just so dear to him. This is an actual joy-filled sharing of life, which includes all of our lives, even finances. Not simply, uh, although I, I love this in stores, but this is not simply a, you know, do you want to round up to the nearest dollar kind of transactional relationship? This is a giving of all to one another, of sacrifice, a relationship of love that echoes the love and kindness and humility of Christ, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the heart that did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10. This is the heart of generous partnership. It's the heart of a healthy church. It's the heart of a healthy church with Christ as his head. It's the heart of a healthy family. It's the heart of a healthy friendship. It's the heart of sharing everything with those whom you love. It is the heart of the kingdom of God. Paul wants the Philippians to know that because of their financial gift, they have come to share in his trouble 800 miles away. The fact that they gave so much so often proves that when Paul hurt, they hurt. When he grieved, they grieved. Paul interprets their financial commitment as a deep and personal relationship, partnership with him in his labors, even though they were that far away. They, they loved him. They valued him. They were his brothers and sisters. They loved the kingdom of God. They lived for the kingdom of God. Their lives had been radically changed, radically moved from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, and they now live as citizens of the kingdom of God, which is an entirely different kingdom that knits hearts together by the blood of God, giving us a hope and a future, not simply individualistically, but as people who have been chosen, made holy, called beloved children 
of God, family of God. And as those who have together been given new hearts with an eternal hope in the presence of the Spirit, with eyes to see and minds to truly understand and hearts to truly feel, we together in partnership with God and His kingdom, spreading fame in His homes, in our workplaces, in our nation, across the world, joyfully and generously share that which we have only been given ourselves to the ministry of the gospel. All all we do, Christian generosity comes, at least plays a this plays a part, a huge part in it, is actual affection for people. In the church, care for one another, truly affectionate, whether, whether it is here in this place or whether it's across the world in another country. There is a connection. You think about the Philippians, there were, there were new Christians, there, there were not, this was not like a generational kind of thing that happened in Philippi and they just kind of grew up knowing that they're supposed to give. These were brand new Christians, yet Paul says in verses 15 and 16, they had already embraced the responsibility of generous partnership and had on several occasions sent money to him. Now, who, who told them to do that? Their parents? No. Church leadership? It was just part of their heart to, to give to, out, of, out of thankfulness for all that God had done and all that was going on for the kingdom of God. They just wanted to give significantly and generous, in, in generosity. They, they understood early in their faith the heart of generous partnership. They, they'd been moved upon by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, and it erupted into something. And that erupted into something was sacrificial generosity. Remember that when Paul speaks of the incredible generosity of the Macedonians in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, he's talking primarily about the church in Philippi and the surrounding area. He says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's speaking to the Corinthians who, who you know, are fairly, fairly messed up in a number of ways, but still a church filled with grace. They're trying to say, he's trying, Paul's trying to say, hey, let's consider the Macedonians for a moment. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction. Don't, don't go past that. A severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That does not make sense to us. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, this is the heart of generous partnership. It's a heart that recognizes that all we have is from the Lord. This is the, they gave themselves first to the Lord, recognizing all I have is from you. It's a heart that recognizes that our finances are in all actuality the Lord's finances. They are, they're not primarily our finances. They are the Lord's finances. It, it just doesn't get more complicated than that. Do, do we feel that when we get your paycheck, when you get your 
check from the government, when, when, your, when your tax thing comes back, or, or when, when whatever happens, whose money is it? It's, it's the Lord's money. The, the heart of, of generous partnership and gospel ministry is the heart that recognizes that we are only stewards of God's riches, not for the sake of hoarding or, or always spending on ourselves, but for the spread of the kingdom of God locally and around the world. Far, far from a debate on whether one should give a certain percentage or, or pay debt down or, or anything else is the heart that is first and foremost preoccupied with how to utilize that which God has graciously and generously given them, even if it's poverty for the care of the saints and the spread of the gospel, even among the most unreached on this planet like the country of Turkey. The heart that doesn't pay all the bills and then give a portion of what's left Rather, it's a heart that for the sake of Christ and his saints and the kingdom of God lays everything on the table and simply asks God, how much of what you have graciously given me needs to be shared even when the numbers don't make sense? Now, not just obligation. Matter of fact, what kind of giver does the Lord love? Cheerful, cheerful giver. All I have is yours. Lord, what do you want me to do with it? I, I, I would anticipate that he wants you to pay your mortgage. I would anticipate that he wants you to put food on the table, all those kind of things. I'm just saying, is it even a question to us? This heart of generous partnership that we're called into as brothers and sisters in Christ is a joy. It is a part of the guide to indestructible joy, in fact. It's why, well, consider point two for a moment the result of generous partnership. Verses 17 and 18, Paul says, not that I seek the gift, that is the money, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I mean, obviously, the giving is an enormous help to Paul. He's well supplied. He needs to be supplied. But to him, there's something infinitely more important than simply the provision of his needs. I mean, does he seek the gift of money for the kingdom of God and the food on his table? Not absolutely. I mean, everyone would prefer to have food on the table. He's thankful for it. But in his encouragement in this area of generous partnership, he is far more interested in what he calls the fruit that increases to your credit, an actual investment that he pictures will pay them rich dividends at some point. Far from a prosperity gospel message, there is a fruit that increases to their credit as they grow in generosity in gospel partnership. And, but what precisely is the fruit that increases to our credit? I just want to share a few things with you. you think about the fruit of increased joy and satisfaction uh, to the one who, uh, who gives when they experience partnership and spreading the gospel, whether local or global. There's just a joy in, in giving to seeing the kingdom of God spread. This is wonderful reality. That, that's a fruit. There's the fruit of deepened relationship with the ones to whom you give. You, you give out of love and care and you grow to have them be your very heart. And so because you are giving, you're giving of your very self, of something that is so precious to you because really that's, you know, money, money's a big deal to us. 
And so you say, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to give that much? Okay. And you give that much because you love him and because you love them and you want to see the kingdom spread. And there is joy. There is joy to be experienced. We just don't think so. So we never, or we give less, or we... There's a fact that we are told in Scripture that if we give, we will receive. Uh, but not in the sense that's promoted by advocates of the prosperity gospel, not that extent anyway. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is what he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way with which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now God gives to those who give, but not in order that they just become personally wealthy and hoard their money or squander it on whatever they want. God gives to those who give so that those who give might give even more. Let me say that again. God gives to those who give so that those who give might give even more. It isn't the promise of getting rich, but being generous gospel partners with God as stewards of some of his riches. Do, do you see? And what a privilege it is to partner in, generous, in generosity in the kingdom of God. Certainly part of the fruit also that increases to their credit is increased reward in heaven. And if you think it's not right to give with a view to gaining a heavenly reward, consider just these two portions of Scripture among the many that speak of reward. Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus speaking. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Promise there. First Timothy 6, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves. That's a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So all that. And there's still more. Not, not just the things mentioned, but another result of their generous partnership is that our generosity is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is actually specifically in our text. Cannot get away from this one. Most of us simply think of money as just that. It's just money. It's a transactional kind of thing. It's the way I pay for stuff. It hardly suggests anything spiritual in nature, but Paul disagrees. When, when Christians give generously and sacrificially to the work of ministry in their local church and across the world, their gift is nothing less than a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse 18. 
Paul wants us to picture God looking upon our giving, whether it's in the offering box or online to the building fund, to the benevolence fund or orphan fund or global mission fund, and it serves as a pleasing aroma to him in a similar fashion as the burnt offering of the Old Testament. And that's the picture Paul has here. Not for forgiveness of sins or anything, but just it's pleasing to the Lord, the same kind of pleasure. But there's more. He goes on to describe their financial gift as a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And it harks back to Old Testament Levitical sacrifices where God was simply satisfied and pleased by the offerings of His people. The point being, God is satisfied, listen to this, God is satisfied and He's pleased and He's filled with joy at the generosity of His people today. Not a librarian joy. Hmm. Thanks for doing what you need to do. Exuberant joy. Satisfaction saying they get it. They know me. They trust me. They believe in me. They believe that I am their provider and they give with generosity. They get it. It puts a smile on the Lord's face, not by way of like gaining a smile with Him in some sort of record of righteousness way, but the reality is, is as those who are children of God, God looks at us and He is pleased with our sacrificial generosity. And it's important to say then, when, when the opposite is true, that though one has the perfect record of righteousness of Jesus, that there is, there is a way, although not in a salvific kind of way, there is a way that God is not pleased when we don't trust Him and when we don't walk in faith and when we penny pinch. Listen, there's nothing ordinary or simply transactional and sacrificial giving to the cause of Christ. Results of generous gospel partnership are simply enormous both in this life and the life to come. And, and truly, if we hear of things like our giving being pleasing to God, like we've considered, and the promise of God's provision in our giving, and the promise of eternal rewards on account of our giving, and the joy of seeing the kingdom of God strengthened and expanded on account of our giving, not to mention the, the, just the immeasurable sacrifice God, God himself made to save you and, and, and pull you from eternal hell and bring you into right relationship with him, and yet we are not stirred to regular and sacrificial giving it's not sure there's anything I could say or anyone else could say that will make a difference. The, the fruit that would otherwise abound to your account will simply be lost. Let's move to our final point. The heart of generous partnership and the result of generous partnership stems entirely from the promise of generous partnership. My God will supply every need of you. This, this is not a verse that is just like off in left field here. This comes specifically out of all this sacrificial generosity, all this life, and, and, and these guys have been like giving, giving, giving to their own seeming detriment to everyone else. And Paul says, and my God will supply 
every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, Paul wants us to understand that if we find in our hearts the desire to give, no matter how impoverished or in debt or in financial turmoil we are, he will more than plentiful supply the resources to do it, and God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I spoke about this last week in differentiating between a want, a desire, and truly that which is needed, what the Lord believes, what the good, gracious, sovereign, sufficient God of the universe believes we need, we will have. An outrageous and glorious promise. Our God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. This is, this is worth a whole sermon. This is worth a lifetime of grappling with and understanding what? How is that true? There's so much grace there. I don't believe it. So I'm going to hold on to the 100 bucks. I'm going to hold on to this. I'm not going to give. I feel like I should, but I'm not going to. Ultimately, because we do not believe the promise. We don't live in the good of it. And so we give, but begrudgingly, it's like, well, I could really use that. Do you see that the Lord promises to supply every need to those who are walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, giving in generosity, even at risk of impoverishment? Not, not just do you see it, but do you believe it? Not simply people giving out of their plenty, not simply taking the leftover morsels of what God's provided us and giving a static percentage of that, but giving out of joy in Christ, being captivated by him, truly captivated by him, that again, Dan said right at the very beginning of this whole series on Philippians and what I said three weeks ago and what we're saying again here is that we're captivated by Jesus. Our lives change. We are altered. Our, all of a sudden we realize our money is not our money. It's actually the Lord's money. Lord, what do you want us to do with it? What do you want me to do? I want to follow you because I want indestructible joy and money is not it. Sinclair Ferguson writes this. To give sacrificially, as the Philippians did, means that we may be in danger of impoverishing ourselves. And Paul had some words of encouragement. Their needs will be supplied in turn by the Lord, according to his riches and glory. He's reminding them of the principle Illustrated frequently throughout Scripture, but powerfully enunciated by Jesus himself, whatever we yield up to him, we will regain again and again. Luke chapter 18, verses 28 through 30. All the riches of Christ's heavenly resources are available to us. He is never in debt to any of his children. The Philippians were seeking to put the kingdom of God and it advanced first in their lives. That was why they gave so lovingly to Paul. Paul was assuring them on the basis of Jesus' teaching and also out of his own experience that everything they needed would be provided. Do we believe this? The Philippians did. Paul did. When, when God gives to you, he gives to you according to his riches, his glorious riches, the riches and glory that belong to him in his eternal kingdom that are yours in Christ Jesus. He gives them freely to us. 
changes our desires along the way to enjoy Him forever and ever. You see, it's all in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ, it's there. The, the New Testament says, in Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The New Testament says that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Bible says that Christ fills all in all. And Paul, writing to the Corinthians again, said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything we are enriched in Him. Truly, everything, that in everything, not just everything but finances, everything in Him. Look, what Paul is getting at is that you and I simply cannot give beyond God's ability to provide us with what is needed. You keep heightening it, sacrifice more, God's going, mm. We're not doing it to get rich. We're doing it because we, we give because we're in love, because we're captivated by Jesus. We, I mean, do we give like that? Well, surely, surely we want to give like that. We need the Holy Spirit, don't we? To change the loves of our heart, that we would give with sacrifice, generosity for the kingdom of God. He will supply all we need according to his eternal and infinite riches in Christ Jesus. Wow. All the Paul's written from the earliest verses of this letter to the last wonderful and glorious promise of God serves as a guide to indestructible joy in a life that's given over and humble and happy submission to the Lord God whom he is entirely captivated by. And for Paul... This promise that he gets deeply, and he, sitting in a jail, and he encourages the Philippians in specifically, results in doxology, results in praise, just this, this, this gut level. He's just writing, and he just can't contain himself. He must sing out with utter joy to our God the Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's at the end of his letter, and he's just saying, this is awesome. This is so good. This is, this is the guide to indestructible joy. How good is that? To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. He's worthy of it all. All we have is His. And we have been given the joy of partnering with Him and maturing and multiplying disciples who enjoy and declare and display the good news of Jesus Christ for the joy of all peoples, both here in Dayton and across the world, especially in the country that we've sent some dear friends to. Now, let me just ask you three questions as we wrap up here to consider. And I've thought about I thought about what to do here. I thought, okay, do I, do I teach on giving some other giving principles? I'm choosing not to do this because I want to get specifically to the heart of the matter here and not just the pragmatics of it. So I'm not going to tell you you need to give this percent or this percent. I'm saying you can never outgive God. But the reason you give in the first place is because you've been loved and because you love Him and everything's on the table. And if there's things that aren't on the table, you need to consider getting those things on the table and entrusting your very life to the one who gives life. First question I want you to ask, these will be in the sermon follow-up as well. Are you truly concerned for the welfare of those who serve the Lord and his people locally and globally? 
that gets to the heart, the first point. Are you truly concerned for the welfare of those who serve the Lord and His people locally and globally? And I understand that this may seem self-serving, but I'm speaking to myself as well here. I'm not first and foremost a recipient of your generosity as one of your pastors, but a partner in the gospel myself, and called upon by the Lord to be truly concerned in my heart for the very real welfare of people like Kale and Jackie, of people like Mark and Becca and their ministry, and the ministries of this church. How concerned are we for the welfare of those who are serving full-time? Second question, do you regard your Christian stewardship as a partnership that does indeed produce fruit that increases to your credit and is pleasing to the Lord? Or do you see it only as a donation that has no real return except a possible tax break, which might very well go away? Or an unfortunate expectation in religious circles, like the world thinks, church just wants to steal your money. Why, why would you do that? Or maybe it's something that you feel just obligated to do and it keeps you from purchasing what you really desire. I really want this. I can't, can't give to the church because like, I need this or I want this. Whatever. Do you regard your Christian stewardship as a partnership that does indeed produce fruit that increases to your credit and really is pleasing to the Lord? Third question. Do you really believe that God will supply what you need if you give sacrificially? Or do you give in such a way that sacrifice will be avoided? Joy and I, a number of years ago, were going through a very difficult time financially, and, and, uh, and there's a whole story um, that I won't share right here, but the story of God's provision and if you look around this room, there are people who are um, older, who have been in the faith for a while, who, are, um, who have learned also this sac- sacrificial generosity, or at least are further along in the journey of learning how, you know. And so if you struggle to believe this promise, go talk, go talk to some older people in this congregation. If you don't know who to talk to, come talk to me. I'll direct you a certain way. We were, we were having a, a difficult time. We ended up getting a, I ended up getting a, a job uh, with the church uh, up in Minneapolis. So money started coming in, whatever. We, had, we were trying to give sacrificially in, in our budget. And, uh, and yet we just didn't know what, it seemed like nothing could be cut. You know, you look through your budget, and you're like, well, I've got to have this, I've got to have this, got to have this, got to have this, got to have this. It's like all the way down. And part of that was, was just off the top, the giving that we had, we had felt Lord call us to. And we brought it to our community group, uh, which was all the elders and their wives. And we said, we said, look, can you look at our budget and just kind of help us? Like, where, what, what, how? What can we, we, we feel compelled. There's a message, something like this, where we both felt compelled we needed to give sacrificially. But we didn't know how to do that. And so we invited them, and they, they all said, literally, everyone just said, no idea. They looked through it, and I said, don't know what you, what you could cut, what you could, what you could whatever. See, we were looking at it even the wrong way in the moment, but it's like we're trying to live faithfully in this. And so what ended up happening was um, 
God just made a way for us to feel it. It wasn't not the happiest story necessarily, but it's like it was like we didn't feel like our giving was like just kind of off the chart sacrificial until then we were tempted to cut our giving because our car got in trouble. This thing needed to happen to the car, get fixed. This needed to happen. This needed to happen. All of a sudden, things out of our budget started going away. And all of a sudden, that amount that we had decided upon with the Lord felt extremely sacrificial. According to our budget, we could not afford to give to the church that. But the Lord had led us in such a way as to entrust ourselves to Him, and we had asked Him, and we were just like, wow, okay, the Lord just made us feel the sacrifice. There is a sacrifice there, a desire. Possibly that's what the Lord would call you to do as well. I don't know how the Lord's going to direct you. The question is, do you believe that God will supply what you need if you give sacrificially? We continued to give, we continued to give, we continued to give, and the Lord, over all of this, we look back and although we fussed and we were struggling in the time trusting him, we look back and we're like, huh, the Lord was faithful to all his promises. And he will be for you as well. Do you give in such a way that sacrifice would be avoided? Consider the impoverished widow in Luke chapter 21. She had how many coins? Two, right? Two coins, two copper coins in her possession. Not a lot, not worth much, but absolutely sacrificial. Why, why was it What was it in her heart that caused her to give like that? Was it not that she believed that God would supply all of her needs according to his riches, according to his riches, so she laid it all in a line? She just brought it to him out of thankfulness, out of whatever her reasons were, she brought it and she knew where her hope was. Certainly wasn't in two coins to get anywhere. Friends, whether through the ministry of this local church or the global reach of this local church and our workers overseas, May we really want to love genuinely and give sacrificially, to pray dependently and share richly with one another in such a way that glory will be seen to come to our God and Father by the way His people love each other, by the way His people support one another and depend on the Lord's provision together so that it becomes clear that the power and the glory all belong to Him and not us. You know, the reality of our trust in God will be revealed in the joyful, sacrificial generosity of our partnership locally and globally. It's almost like a test. A way to evidence that you really believe that God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. But may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.